Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. production. You have headphones on. Good morning. Good morning. So I look like a total dork in the dark, but I think my audio is much better. Yeah, because you're using your? My big mic yeah. and my big ears. And your big ears <laughs> and your big mic. You look you look great. You and need headphones now so that I don't look like a dork all by myself. Yeah, I tried that. Does, you know, that combination doesn't work for me either. So I'm not sure how you figured it out. We'll talk about it some other time, not taking up podcast time for that. You know, we just spent an hour together uh, with a quick meeting with a couple of brilliant legal brilliant minds. Brilliant people. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. brilliant legal minds. Total opposite on the spectrum. It's really interesting to watch the dynamic, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes, um, it was. And we've done that a million times. So it's kind of fun to be able to like be leaders, like I talked about. Like we've got to be leaders in not allowing our political slants or our perspectives about things like choice when it comes to abortion to get in the way of other things that are really important. If that's not the topic at hand, we need to put it to the side and be able to be unified on, on the topics that we can be unified on. Yeah. It's a, it'll be a lesson. It's a lesson to everybody out there that uh, there are some things possible that are are possible, right? Like you and I, like you and I, you and I are possible. So let's quick catch up. Anything new with you this past week? Well, I would say the one thing that I really wanted to to share about was, I know we've talked about this several weeks in a row about the maternal panel in Santa Barbara, but the press came for the very first time and uh, did a piece in the paper, which I'll um, make sure are in the show notes that so that you guys can read it. And overall, um, it was a it was a really good article and talked. I think it put a lot of pressure on the hospital because it stated in the title and several times in the actual article that Cottage Hospital chose not to show again. So I think in that respect, it was really good. But for me, as a midwife, I was disappointed in a few things. And I unfortunately didn't pick the right timing to communicate it to Anastasia, my student and one of the one of the um, leaders of ICANN here who hosts that meeting because she was so excited because, you know, the press has never been there before. But it was interesting. And and maybe some midwives that are listening will understand. There was a picture of the panel and then it named us all from left to right. And Alyssa and I were just mentioned by our names, but Dr. Drake and Dr. Shavira were named as doctor. And the ethicist also is a doctor who wasn't named as a doctor, which is interesting too. But I mentioned that I was like, you know, it's, it's just that our credentials aren't even really acknowledged as being as important as a make sure that you call them a doctor. And I'm not usually like, I don't need the accolades necessarily. I just think that it shows something about the bias Um, that's just pervasive and no one even thinks about it. And again, you know, we didn't talk very much about it specifically in the panel. Um, but in this article and, and in the series of articles that they've done, they still haven't highlighted 
midwives as a powerful option in their community. You know, it's, it's all about pressuring the hospital. It's all about talking about that. We don't have enough doctors here that, you know, you have to go to Ventura in order to get that care. We, we're, we didn't highlight um, that there are many options in regards to midwives here. And we also didn't highlight the fact that in terms of success for VBACs, it's almost double in most cases in terms of having a successful VBAC with the care of midwives who are, you know, who are trained to be able to keep moms safe, including women who have had a previous cesarean. So that to me, you know, even though it's a step in the right direction, that to me just, you know, it was an opportunity also to highlight midwives and it's a lost opportunity. They interviewed me for an hour and said that there was an article that was going to come out at some point in the series about midwives and it still hasn't come out. Will it? I don't know. Maybe not. But personally, it's a little frustrating. Yeah. Well, first of all, everything you said is extremely important because it does reflect the idea that midwives are considered a lesser subset of the obstetric profession as opposed to their own profession, as we say. And also that you're in a community where that way of thinking, the medical model has been so dominant for so long that probably every one of those reporters and their family members have all been delivered in the medical model and don't really even know if you ask them what a midwife is or what, is it, what does it mean or what are the different levels of midwifery uh, education, they would have no idea. And they're not curious enough to look. And this is a common thing with reporters. And I'm not picking on these reporters specifically, no, I think, but I they think don't take a deep two, dive. Yeah, I think these two reporters have taken a deep dive and I think they do know, and they both had, um, one had a breach and one had twins, I think right before they started to talk about all of this, but it's just, they don't even think about it. It's not, you know, of course you're going to call a doctor, a doctor, but they don't even think about it from the other perspective, even if they're being sensitive, because it's just not. I'm assuming they both had C-sections too, right? One of them is in a lesbian couple and she wasn't the delivering person, but yes. And the other one, yes, yeah. was the dad. So his right. partner had a C-section, yeah. Yeah, in our model, they would have had a probably 80 to 90% chance of success vaginally. But we'll leave that up there. So Anyways, I'll just bring that's you, my update. I want to keep bringing you up to date uh, with more RV Living, the RV Living <laughs> podcast. Um, I'm currently in Bozeman, Montana for my uh, Reteach Breach seminar, which starts tomorrow for two days with Amy Great. and the Go Midwife people. I've been doing working with Amy first, I think, two, three years in Hawaii. And now I think this will be the third year in a row in Bozeman, Montana. Very excited to be here. I, on the way here from Wyoming, I stopped. I went through Billings, Montana. I had lunch yesterday with Katie and Keith. Um, they are a couple that had babies number four and five. Uh, they had a home twin birth in Billings. I think I'd mentioned them before. They they sort of posted their stuff on the on Instagram, and it's pretty. It's gone not viral, but it's been spread out a lot, and. Their midwife's name was Heather, and Heather is a traveling midwife, and she just came here. And while she was here in the two or three weeks that she was here, she did another set of twins, Alicia. So shout out to them. They had a home twin birth. I think they, their babies were Vertex Vertex, whereas Katie's were Vertex Breach. Uh, interesting story, which we won't get into today about Katie's babies. Everything's fine. And then she also had another mom who was Breach. So she came out here and she did three births. Wow. 
And that's all we're going to say about that because it's under the radar. And oh, I uh, we'll leave say, it at that. I was going to say, can we have her on? Because it'd be cool to hear about how she manages that. Traveling. I think she would come on. And, and I've yeah. already I've already put that feeler out there. Okay. So we'll see how that goes. Great. And I just want to I want to talk a little bit about my travels because, you know, there's beauty all around. And, I, you know, I we just came through the Grand Tetons and then um, up through Yellowstone. And, you know, last time I was in Yellowstone was uh, 1991. So what is that? 31 years ago. And obviously geography hasn't changed much but um it's just expansive and it's beautiful and it's it's an amazing park um it's huge and the wildlife area we had three four times i had to like stop and wait for a buffalo to cross the road or i didn't see any buffalo when i was there Isn't oh my sad? god they were everywhere i didn't um, see any i know and it's gorgeous and i was so happy to be there and i know i saw buffalo i saw an elk i saw a black bear I saw a deer and I saw antelope. I didn't see them playing, however. <laughs> and then there was a rare, a rare thing in Cody, Wyoming. There was a Dr. Stu sighting. I got a message from an Instagram fellow traveler named Paige who said that she and her husband, who live about 30 miles away, were in Cody doing some shopping or something. And they said, was that you on your bike? I thought Dr. Stu on his bike in Cody, Wyoming. And they did. It was me on my bike. Um, fun. I, I know. That. So not only were there deer and antelope, but uh, Dr. Stu was playing as well. Um, <laughs> and then I was thinking about a couple things that happened and I'm not trying to turn slightly negative, but you know, our lives are more and more controlled all the time. And, you know, there's rules and regs and new laws and new regulations. And there's signs everywhere of like, you can't turn your RV in here and no RV parking and don't pass and pull over for slower, you know, slow vehicles, signs telling you what to do. And two things that happened to me while in the last week or so, one is I went to a hot springs with a midwife uh, from Colorado. And for a while, there was nobody there. Essentially, there were like three people in, in the hot springs area. Was it a, like a natural one? You just walked Well, up? but it was fancy. I mean, it was oh, like okay. they had hot soaking tubs with teepees on them or private. And she was laying out and she took off her top, laying flat face down to get some sun on her back. And somebody from them said, uh, excuse me, we're a family friendly place and you have to, you can't be topless. And it's like, well, first of all, there's no families here. And secondly, there's nobody around, but they have a rule that says you can't be topless. So they had to enforce their rule. Mm -hmm. And then one night when I was in Yellowstone, because the RV parks were closed, I had to, st I stayed at the Canyon Lodge and I left my RV as far away from the lodge in the far back of the parking lot as you can be. And I went out around 11 o'clock at night to uh, turn the generator on because the temperature was dropping below freezing. And I wanted to sort of heat up my water tanks and stuff like that. So I didn't have to worry about that. And plus I wanted to give my cat some company. And so I turned the generator on, I fell asleep for about an hour and then I hear a knocking at my door. And there's a security guard that comes by and says, um, you can't stay here. And I said, I'm in room 2207. And he says, oh, well, you, you have to turn your generator off. It's like, well, why? You just have to turn your generator off. So I just did. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to spoil the thing, but it wasn't bothering anybody. You couldn't hear it from the, from, you know, a block, you know, three quarters of a block away. It was below 32 degrees and he's doing his job and making me turn the generator off. And I'm just thinking, and I was thinking this morning when I was waking up about the podcast and it, it just occurred to me about this song that came out in 1970 by the five man electrical band. It was called Signs. Do you remember the song? What year? 1970. 
No, I wasn't born yet. Well, yeah, you weren't born when <laughs> you weren't born when Frank Sinatra was singing songs either. But that's true. Sign, sign, everywhere a sign, blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the sign? <laughs> and it was just, yeah, it's like you know, I'm in this beautiful place, and you're and you're telling me I have to turn my generator off. It's not like I'm not I'm not like sneaking in there and camping. I'm just trying right. to keep my pipes from freezing. Anyway, right, right, okay. So. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about some dumb doctor dogma. I've got four fellow travelers who wrote in to me. What we should call what we should call these podcasts that don't have a specific topic yeah. is a Dr. Stu brain dump. Yeah, okay. Because that's what he he gets to the point where he's got so much on his brain. He's like, I just got to get it all out of me. So that's what the, that's what these are. They come up every once in a while and you're like, I just have so much to talk about. So that that's what it is today. Yeah. And there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about. We're not going to even have time to get to. See, but I'll, 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 I'll uh, <laughs> give a sneak preview of the future. We're going to talk about um, uh, cervical recoil at some future podcast. Yeah. That's and we're going to talk about a uh, third stage maneuver for um, shortening the third stage and lowering blood loss. Okay. And then uh, next week, I think we decided to talk about meconium. And next week we'll talk about meconium. So we can probably get all three of those things in because the first two are not going to take very long. And then we'll spend some time talking about meconium. Um, and then the last thing we're going to do today is somebody sent me an interview from 2019. I think you were born then, right? Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they sent me 2019 uh, interview from this guy that's a, a podcaster um, named Z-Dog MD. And he's not That's a big cool. fan of home birthing, but he's um, got a big following. Um, he's got over 500,000 followers on Instagram and he does a podcast and it's fairly popular. And there's one called the truth about home birth. He's a OB or just a doc? No, he's a, I don't even know what kind of doctor. Nah. Right. <laughs> I think he's probably an internist or something like that. He's not, uh -huh. an, OB. He's not an OB. Okay. Okay. And he's not a pediatrician. I don't know what he is. Um, but you know, I mean, he, he's very popular and I'm sure he does a good, job. I think he might've even done some Ted talks or something like that, but, um, he has this YouTube video called the truth about home birth and it has 23,000 plus views. Got one more view now because I watched it, <laughs> <laughs> um, at the suggestion of a fellow traveler on Instagram. And, uh, he interviews this pediatrician named Dr. Duddy. And I'm going to, I'm going to break it down because I did this once before with, I think a paper by Chervenak or Grunbaum where they were like, picking on home birth. And I just sort of went through paragraph by paragraph and, and commented on it. And I think I'm going to do the same thing with this, even though this is an old video, three years old, um, people are still going to be seeing it. If they search home birth on YouTube, it might come up because the words home birth are in there. And I want people to have a, an alternative to go there. And if um, Z dog MD wants to have an actual discussion about home birth with somebody who knows something about home birth, um, I'm available. So, okay. The first message, now the, again, because I'm on the, in the RV, I don't have anything printed out. So I have to go to everything. I've tried it all, tried to set up everything. So we'll see. This is from uh, Bria, and I don't know where she's from. And she says, um, hi, Dr. Stu. First off, your podcast with Bliss has been a complete game changer for me during my pregnancy. I love when they start their letters like that. Yeah. I can't thank you both enough for turning my anxiety into empowerment. Yes. Through listening to you in bliss, I have found the strength and knowledge to advocate for myself and to change providers 33 weeks into my pregnancy. I want people right. to understand that you can do that and you should yeah. do that. If you're not getting a good feeling, if you're having red flags, 
as we discussed in the podcast from two weeks ago, there's no reason that you should not be trying to change your uh, practitioner. Not only am I reaching out to thank you for both spreading your amazing knowledge and experience, I do have a question for you. And I also want to share what I've experienced this far in my first pregnancy. At nine weeks, I met my OB who in the first visit informed me that I needed to be watched for hypertension and preeclampsia because of previous blood pressures. Then she writes, I have never been told I have hypertension in my entire life. I've never had a high blood pressure ever. I'm a healthy, active 34-year-old woman. She stated in the appointment that we will just, quote, keep an eye on it, unquote, and advised me to take baby aspirin starting at 12 weeks. Hmm. I was also told that due to the weight of both my partner and I at the time we were born, an induction at 39 weeks would probably be a good idea to avoid birthing a big baby, unquote. She was nine pounds when she was born and her husband was just over eight. Those are perfectly chubby, lovely babies. Right. Um, those would be a perfect, uh, as Cynthia and uh, Trish would say, the perfect red flags. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, not to be outdone, she, of course, brought up the ARRIVE trial, was also involved in the conversation. And I was told that it was the best way to avoid a C-section was to be induced at 39 weeks. Shrugging my shoulders and saying, okay, since I was clueless at the time, it's before she listened to the Birthing Instincts podcast. Mm-hmm. I went on with the pregnancy and the plan laid out for me. The following appointments became more centered about my, quote, chronic hypertension, unquote. Getting extra blood work, ultrasounds, and hearing the phrase chronic hypertension at every visit started to not sit right with me. My blood pressure had been perfect and still is. It had never been more than 130 over 80 and usually hovers around 120 over 65. I did some research and came to the conclusion that I do not want an induction unless it's absolutely necessary, and I want to avoid medical intervention as much as possible. I advised my OB of this at 24 weeks, and I was told I should, quote, really consider induction because of my chronic hypertension, unquote. And that she's not saying no to me, but that an induction will like, most likely be the safest and best option for me. After multiple conversations about my OB's stance on many things and listening to your lovely podcast, I decided that there were too many, far too many red flags and that I needed to run away and find a midwife. Isn't that great? Yes. I had my first visit last night and it was a breath of fresh air. I was informed by my midwife that she reviewed my chart and medical history. She also informed me that not only am I labeled as a chronic hypertensive, but in the chart, I was also diagnosed with preeclampsia at 16 weeks. <laughs> You're laughing. I mean, people can't see you. I can see you. you, you yeah. You just, you just make these faces. And why we're and why I'm laughing is because you really for one reason, I don't I didn't hear anything of why she would be diagnosed, but also preeclampsia is something that you find out usually later in the pregnancy, yeah. not at 16 yeah. weeks. You don't have preeclampsia at 16 weeks. Yeah. Okay. This was never communicated to me. I do not have preeclampsia even at this point. They never checked my urine for protein. I do not have swelling. My blood pressure is completely normal. I have remained active and working full-time. I have zero symptoms. But, she writes, due to these labels on my chart, it is affecting my course of care from here on out, and I fear it will affect my course of care for future pregnancies and my health insurance. Is there any way I can have these diagnoses removed? How can they diagnose me with a preeclampsia before the time frame it is typically diagnosed without any testing or symptoms? How can they place that on my records without informing me that I have it? Yeah. I'm so confused and angry. Yeah. 
Thank you for taking the time to read my lengthy message and thank you for supporting and advocating women, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I wrote quickly back, I wrote, if you are sure that that's what the chart says, you can formally write your previous doctor a letter asking her to explain the diagnosis of preeclampsia at 16 weeks in your chart. Also explain how your, quote, chronic hypertension, quote, was diagnosed. Even if you do the following, you should write that letter. And the following would be the other option for future medical care. And this is not off the record. I'm going to say this openly is to never disclose that you even saw this doctor. Have your midwife transfer relevant information into her chart and go from there. In other words, what that other doctor wrote isn't true. It is it, it's trash. Just have your, your midwife create her own chart, not transfer these diagnoses that don't exist into that chart. And then you never have to really mention it before. I know that that sounds like you have to do something shady to cover up something that was done inappropriately. But if that doctor, you don't want to write the doctor or you write the doctor and the doctor won't respond or he responds with something that's obtuse, then why should you be stuck with that diagnosis? I, I can give you a side story. There was one time where I, I, I mentioned this on the podcast years ago, probably maybe even before you were a host, that I used to ask people if they, you know, about drug use. Yeah. And I remember writing one time, occasional MJ. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then she moved yeah. to- Is that Mary moved, Jane? Well, it's marijuana, but Mary Jane is another name for marijuana. You know that. But what's MJ? It's the abbreviation I used for marijuana. Yeah, it's funny. Mary Jane. Okay. Well, it's just, it's easier than writing out the word marijuana. Okay. <laughs> you know, I you know, limited space on the chart. Okay. Anyway, so um, she moves to Colorado and she tries to get new health insurance and, they, and they're going to rate her because she occasionally smoked marijuana. Mm. So from that day forward, even though I might ask the question, I never, I never chart it. It cost me, it, it, it created me to have to change the way I chart because insurance companies were going to punish someone for occasionally smoking a joint, which probably everyone in that worked at the insurance company does regularly. Yeah. Well, the other thing is I actually do something similar um, because I have a electronic form. And one of the questions that they ask is, have you ever done illegal drugs? So I have conversations with them about what, you know, their history and if it's current and all of that to see if it really can, uh, has them be high risk and there's something we need to do about it. But I don't leave it on their chart as a yes, because if they transported to the hospital and that was a yes, that also would be a flag that they would um, automatically profile them. So, Right. And they yeah. would probably do a drug screen on the baby without their permission. Yeah. That whole thing. Yeah. Um, so then she wrote back, she writes back, okay, I'll do that. But according to my new midwife, that is what my chart says. She said, if I didn't have the hypertension diagnosis on my chart, she would be doing things very differently with me. But now I am being told I have to have some sort of fetal monitoring every week until my due date. Where is she at? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Don't well, yes, then she said. should definitely talk. She should contest it then with the doctor. Yep. And yeah. she gave me, and she gave me permission to share this on the podcast. So like, I don't ever share anything without getting permission. I just want people to understand that. Yeah. I understand that. Were you going to say something? Well, I mean, it's just so interesting. I mean, I kind of, I, you have to be in the position of the midwife and the culture there to totally understand her choices. I get things like if there's a due date and I am not agreeing with that due date, I still have to consider that that due date is somewhere in their chart, um, you know, or if they've been diagnosed with something and I'm concerned about taking that case, 
because of the law, then I might have you write something or have them see you or something just to kind of balance that out. But, you know, I've had women come in who with Kaiser, they were, you know, diagnosed as IUGR. And I absolutely did not agree with that. And I wasn't diagnosing them with IUGR. You know, I did whatever follow-up I needed to do to make sure that their baby was actually just SGA. Um, So I understand the (laughs) CYA, all these, all these um, abbreviations covering your ass, so to speak, but like moving forward in a midwifery perspective with a medical diagnosis that there's no validity to it just seems odd to me. But again, I'm not that midwife and I don't know what culture she's having to protect. Yeah. And you know, I, you know, we can't explain it. I mean, and I I don't (laughs) think that the doctor will come on the birthing instincts podcast to explain it, Mm -hmm. but that's why it's labeled under the category of dumb doctor dogma, because (laughs) they're saying things to them that don't make sense. Oh, you were, you were nine pound baby. We should induce you at 39 weeks to avoid the C-section. I mean, that alone would have me screaming into the woods, running out of my RV off into the woods. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if, if a Dr. Stu screams in the woods and there's no one around to hear him, did I make a sound? You know, I don't know. The squirrels, the squirrels would say, yes, they would run away. Uh, Okay. So that's that one. Now, one of the previous podcasts, we spoke about Amanda and she was the one that her baby had the head circumference of the 90th percent and her, God, I don't want to, yeah, her MD, which I, I was going to use the, there's a word that starts with an I and ends with a D-I-O-T that, uh-huh. if you, that if you post that on Instagram, your post gets taken down or flagged using yeah. that word alone. You did so, mention but, that before. Yeah. So because of the baby's head, her head, her baby's head was in the 90th percentile, he recommended a C-section. So she went to see another doctor and she recommended an induction at 38 weeks, all because the baby's head was in the 90th 90th percentile. And we had talked briefly about the fact that, you know, pelvises and head, baby's heads are not, they're not steel structures that don't Mm -hmm. give. They move and they, they mold and they extend and they, you know, they, they're, they're, they're pliable. They, you know, they're designed for this purpose. But these yes. two doctors, one told her she'd have a C-section, they're told her an induction for a head of 90%. Well, I have some follow-up from her. Uh, she said, thank you so much for everything you and Bliss are doing, first off. You guys are such an important voice. Baby boy Ryan was born half an hour after midnight on Saturday morning. That would be about four days, five days ago. He came out at eight pounds, eight ounces, so not as big as they thought. Surprising. Are you shocked? Mm -hmm. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you're the best co-host in the business, because if I ask you questions, you just affirm everything that I'm saying. That's not true. No, I know. That is not true. I know. (laughs) Um, I was able to stick to my birth plan and have as close to a natural birth as I could in the hospital. No epidural was used, and they gave me a very small dose of Pitocin for the last 30 minutes I pushed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) By the way, his head and shoulders came out, no issue at all. So glad you gave me my voice to be able to say it's okay to keep him in there and that it's okay for him to grow. I was 40 weeks and six days when he was born without induction. He's Great. healthy and so am I. I owe so many thanks to you and the, my doula for helping me and feel empowered and have this birth the way I wanted. It was great to move positions and eat and drink while in labor. Imagine that. Beautiful. Right. Awesome. Um, yeah. She says, thank you. Also, I was in shock that I didn't have to fight along the way. So 
I know that that sounds really silly, but I'm really happy that her hospital didn't make her fight along the way. Yeah, her doctor. her. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So we have to, we have to, you know, say hooray for small, small things. <laughs> it's a big thing in her world. Yeah. Plus he didn't get vaccinated or anything like that. I just had to fill out some extra paperwork. So that's good too. It was fun to hear the shock and the nurses when they switched. Oh, when they, they changed shift, I guess. About me not being on an epidural. The nurses were shocked. Mm -hmm. So empowering to yeah. feel birth as birth is supposed to be. Lovely. Congratulations. Yeah. Okay. So the next one is from Gloria. So I'm going to just find that one. I got that one here. It's a little bit of a long one. So she says, hi there. I'm just listening to podcast episode number 252. And 252 was our Inducing Naturally podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you remember that one? Sure. See, I, I don't. <laughs> That's my brain. Okay. And I'm in the part where you're talking about calcium administration mm -hmm. while in labor to help oxytocin and contractions get going. Remember, we sort of talked about, I think yeah. veterinar veterinarians do it. A few times we talked about and it. And we talked about giving people, giving as a last resort before we transfer, giving them some ice cream. Yeah. And so, remember this week, I had a light bulb go off in my head. Because um, as midwives, I talk about the lineage, right? So the midwives that I learned from are, you know, in my lineage. And so things get passed down that you just use. Like there's a recipe for labor aid that's in my packet and it has calcium tablets in it. And I've never questioned it. I've never been, I was always kind of like, oh, that's interesting. But I never thought, well, what's the calcium for? And then a light bulb went off in my head and I was like, oh, it's what we've been talking about. It supports the progression of labor. So it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, if your uterus is contracting every three minutes for hours on end, uh, you know, it, ATP and the thing that requires the, the mechanisms to contract is calcium is like a major player there. Yeah, so. there you go. Okay. So uh, Gloria says, I'm originally from Dominican Republic and I now live in Tampa, Florida. Oh, I hope Tampa's okay, by the way. Um, oh yeah. I have a mentee there. Who's, yeah, uh, I've got some people preparing. that I know they're in Fort Myers and in, in that area. It's I think it's today, right? Or tomorrow? That um, it's supposed to hit. Yeah, I think it's today. Which of course will be two weeks ago by the time yeah. this comes out. Yeah. Our so, prayers are blessings with them. to you guys. Yeah. Yes. I'm currently pregnant with my second and preparing for an HVAC. I guess home vaginal after cesarean is what she means. Um, or home VBAC after cesarean. HVAC. Oh, yeah, home birth after cesarean. Well, HVAC is also what guy who fixes your air conditioner in your oh in your HVAC, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, home vaginal delivery after cesarean. Okay, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Um, listening to your podcast and the VBAC Link podcast, want to give a shout out to them. Is one of my daily routines while taking my daily walks or doing prenatal yoga. I guess we're going to have to start doing podcasts daily for Gloria. <laughs> <laughs> You'd love that. I would. I would love that if I'm not. You know, I have the time. I don't always have the Wi-Fi, but I have the time right now while I'm don't traveling. Don't have the time because we're going to write a book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm working on my twin paper, too. I met with Rick. Oh, by the way, I met with Rixa this morning. Uh, she's headed off to um, Australia and New Zealand in November uh, for two, for, uh, to teach Breach there. And um, then she's off to France. But we're... We, we, we sort of set a personal deadline of April 1st to have our paper done and said to the publisher on twin home birthing. So we'll hopefully work on that. Okay. Anyhow, uh, back to Gloria. 
This was done to me my, during my first birth. I was induced due to my amniotic fluid being low at 40 weeks. In summary, they started with a Foley bulb, then Pitocin, then they broke my water. And at that point, I asked for an epidural after four hours of double peak contractions at about 60 to 90 seconds apart from the Pitocin, obviously. I felt yeah. my belly was going to break, so I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, we talk about the idea of how Pitocin is so artificial compared to oxytocin and how your baby isn't getting the breaks that you'd get, especially once she gets an epidural. So I was progressing slowly, but I wasn't progressing fast enough for them. Yeah. And I had a nurse who during her shift told me about trying calcium as she assured me she has seen this work where it would before where it would work with most women who were not on Pitocin, but not much was happening. I remember the doctor on call saying no to her suggestion. Mm -hmm. Okay. So almost at the end of her shift, the nurse came back and asked me if I wanted to try some calcium as I was desperately trying to avoid a C-section. I said yes over the head of the doctor. So good for that. I think she probably came back at the end of the shift so she could give her the calcium and then split. Don't you yeah. think? And really that mom, you know, knew like what would calcium actually do that would be negative over something like Pitocin, you know, so good for her. Well, guess what? I dilated from four to five all the way to 10 centimeters in less than an hour. Wow. And I was, well, it doesn't end as well as you think. <laughs> and <laughs> I was 100%, I was 100% of face too. My baby was not in the right position though. She was on her right side with her face probably towards my belly bottom. I think she means button, but <laughs> I know this because bottom. even though she was head down anytime, they put me on my back. I felt very intense back labor pain on my back. I tried to do 20 to 30 minutes of spinning babies to see if that would help me, my baby to rotate and me feeling the urge to push. At some point, I felt a little bit of pressure, but it was very intermittent. I think it was helping the baby to start rotating, but she wasn't quite there yet. So you can imagine what comes next. The doctor that took over the next shift came in and said, quote, Let's get you on your back to push because you're 10 centimeters already, unquote. I asked her to let me push in another position and explained I didn't want to be on my back because anytime I was on my back, I felt pain. But she replied, quote, no, let's get you on your back so I can teach you how to push, unquote. Mm -hmm. For some reason, those words were felt very insulting to me. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> you're not you're not being very snarky today. You're being very you're being very supportive and feely and touchy today so yes i am because i'm not feeling great today and so i'm in another part of my energy field so okay you picked up on it i'm touchy feely okay okay well, well hopefully next week snarky bliss will be back we'll see no more <laughs> the, the and no fuckery bliss all right i can't explain why they put me on my back and the intermittent pressure i was feeling disappeared instantly and the back pain came back in full force, but they made me push for four hours that way. And my baby only got to zero to plus one station. The doctor came at that point and said, my baby wasn't descending and we needed to go for a C-section. We asked for more time and she gave us 30 minutes more. When she came back, she said that she was still at plus one. We need to get the baby out right now because quote, I think she might have had her head swollen, unquote. I suppose means she's got a lot of caput, right? Yeah, that's possible. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. But here's, so we, we cried and prayed and signed the papers as obviously my baby's head was swollen and we needed to get her out quote immediately, unquote. 
All right. So the urgency was expressed to her. And that was her understanding that her baby's head was swollen and that's not a good thing. And she should get the baby out. So then they injected something to stop all her contractions. And right before taking me out of the room to go to the OR, a nurse came stop and came and said, stop, wait, she can't go now because there's a twin C-section happening right now. We have to wait. So it's not as urgent as they yeah. led her to believe. Yeah. Right. This was at 4 a.m. and my baby was born at 8.50 a.m. <laughs> Five hours later. I had to wait all those hours in the room with my contractions stopped by whatever they put me on, which probably was tribulin, I suspect. And thankfully, my baby did not have her head swollen at all. I feel now I was robbed my vaginal birth. Again, I think some of this is her English, the way she types, but yeah. I'm just reading what's on here. I was robbed my vaginal birth by this doctor who made me feel we needed to just take her out when her heartbeat was okay during the entire labor, and I wasn't tired at all either, even after pushing for four hours. Anyhow, I got off topic, she says. <laughs> Unfortunately, I still ended up with a C-section, but I can testify that the calcium tablets did make a huge difference and helped me progress to everything when everything seemed to be stalling for hours. I wish I would have advocated for myself more when, I, when the nurse offered the first time. Okay. Um, and again, yeah, that's so that's basically the story. Mm -hmm. And she's hoping to have an, an, another H back in December of this year. So, Lori, we we're wishing hope you so much luck. And now you have all of these insights about how to advocate for yourself. And the thing I want to say, since we're talking about asyncliticism and malpositioned babies, um, like posterior babies, so often um, those are leading to C-sections, um, even sometimes home birth transports. Um, and I can understand in regards to like the mother's discomfort and desiring to go in for an epidural, especially with back labor. Sometimes it's, a, it's the maternal choice. Um, but in terms of uh, providers, practitioners, uh, it's patients. It really is like, we really need to be patient and we really need to offer more support. And if we need a break and we need another midwife or somebody to come in and, and let us take some rest so that we're not feeling impatient. Um, if the mom is really wanting to keep going, we really need to support that because a lot of times with those malpositioned babies, it has to do with um, patients. And I heard uh, Christian Northrup on uh, Nathan's podcast the other day, and she said this great thing uh, about the bag of waters, that it's like bubble wrap, you know? So we definitely don't want to, uh, to try and rush labor along by breaking the waters, especially with a, a dysfunctional labor pattern or a malpositioned baby, because then that baby doesn't have as much opportunity to be able to rotate. So I just wanted to put that in there. Yeah, that's really wise, Bliss. And the thing about that is, is that you need to treat the individual and not let your own personal things get into it. I, it's very hard sometimes when you're exhausted and you're watching a woman being uncomfortable. But, but if the baby and the mom are both willing to go on, the mom telling you, the baby showing you by its heartbeat and everything else, that you're right. Maybe you need to extricate yourself from that situation for a short period of time. Yeah, you know, maybe go out for breakfast or or go for a walk, or like you said, if you work with a a colleague, and maybe ask somebody to come and sit for a few hours while you go out and get into nature, and and get back that because we we do get that bias. And I know that as I got toward the 
just the, before my sabbatical was starting and I knew it was coming on April 1st, you know, I know that I, it was harder for me to sit and watch. So I would, you know, I often extricated myself in, mm -hmm. into another room or, or another part of the house um, and put my headphones in because that was a way that I could cope. Because otherwise you, you do, eventually you get exhausted and you just want it to be somebody else's issue. And, that's not and this is why it's good for those that of us who are supporting with the actual delivery and postpartum, which is where most of the complications can happen. This is why it's good to have doulas and have and have that family have a good support team for their labor, because it's that's not where our you know expertise is necessarily needed. Even though you know, like I can add something in terms of helping them, uh, you know, unpack things or provide, you know, hands-on doula support and all of that, but it's not, it's okay in a short labor, but if you get a long labor like that, you're screwed, you know, because you will get exhausted. And if that baby does come out at home and you're exhausted, it's also not safe. So. Okay. Don't go, don't go too early. Okay. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. And, and remember that your job is not the same as a doula's job as a midwife. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, some midwives take it all on. I don't exactly know how they do that, but they just do. You know, I told the story when we did the uh, panel about this mom early on when I was early uh, midwife, I really did believe I could do it all. I thought, you know, I could I could do both because I had the skill set and the heart for it and all of that. And I ended up with a mom who had an 80 hour labor and I was half dead. Uh, Only half? Guess. Only half so dead? Yeah, half dead. I was so tired. I had to call my my assistant in who usually, you know, I would call closer to the actual delivery. And I said, you've got to come. I need a nap. Like, I just can't keep going. And this mom was so amazing. She was, she was at eight centimeters, something like that for like 24 hours. And um, I had said, you know, are you, you know, are you desiring to go in and get maybe what the hospital has to offer at this point. And she was walking around, had so much energy. She's like, Nope, not yet. And I was like, okay, we're going to keep going. She was like the energizer bunny. So, you know, that's when it should be, it should be the mom's choice really. If everything is looking if good. If everything's fine. Right. Yeah. A mm -hmm. quick shout out to Jen Margulis. Um, I listened to against the wind podcast with Dr. Paul Thomas, episode number 67. She was on with Paul. It's just a, a listener suggestion if you wanted to find another podcast to listen to the episode 67 of against the wind you know jen is brilliant mm -hmm. she's a writer but she's also a great speaker and she has real command of the english language and it's really a pleasure to listen to her i was driving through the northern wyoming between cody and billings and there's really not a lot to see i saw some antelope um I tend to see a lot of animals i mean i'm just lucky mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my memory of that podcast will be the vistas of northern Wyoming. So beautiful. Before we get on to the last subject, you know what time it is? It's time to uh, talk about element. Salty yep. AF. I have my salty AF water bottle here. Um, <laughs> element is one of our sponsors, LMNT. And they are a tasty electrolyte drink with all of the good stuff and none of the BS. Like us. Like us. Right. I love when you say that. It's, I look forward to it every week. I know. Uh, yeah. They have, it's got electrolytes in it, which is what you really need when you need a, a replenishment, when you're sweating, when you're working out, when you're in labor, when you've been up for 80 hours. 
uh, <laughs> taking care of somebody in labor. Yeah. It would have been good. You might have been more refreshed if you would have had your element. And I probably would have. Right. It's really good for those sorts of situations. And it's and uh, it, it's so much better than some of the other drinks which have sugar or other fake sugars or things in them. As you know that I drink, uh, I, I shouldn't, but I do. So um, and it comes in multiple flavors. Bliss's favorite is uh, uh, mango chili and mine is raspberry, mm -hmm. but it comes in, let's see, I think I got them memorized now, lemon and citrus and raspberry, well, raspberry is my favorite and um, orange and lemon habanero and- uh, Watermelon. Watermelon. Unflavored. Unflavored. And, and chocolate salt, right. I, uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to use the chocolate salt. So if anybody has some ideas, yeah. Why that doesn't, salt. well, we'll, we'll talk about that off the podcast. <laughs> anyway, if you go to drinkelement.com, that's drinkelement.com and put in the code word birthing instincts, you'll get a free sample pack with any order. Uh, please, uh, support them as they support the podcast. And we just want to send our gratitude to them. Thank you, Element. Thanks, Element. Okay, one more thing. Uh, most recent High Wire podcast with Dell Bigtree, which will currently be two weeks old by the time this comes out. Uh, Dell interviews Dr. Paul Merrick. And Paul Merrick is a, I think he's an intensivist who works in ICU, used to work in ICUs at Norfolk General Hospital. He's one of the most published ICU doctors ever. He came up with a treatment for sepsis using vitamin C. And for that, he was pilloried. And then he was a supporting use of ivermectin, I believe for COVID and had a 50% better survival rate with his ICU patients than his colleagues did. And for that, he got kicked off staff. And so there's a nice interview with him and he talks about sham peer review. And for those of us who've been through sham peer review, it's a little bit of uh, a little PTSD and also a little bit of camaraderie to hear that you're not alone. Yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's a good interview. Dell always does a good interview. And with Paul Merrick, thought it was an important one to just put out there as well for people to if they're looking for another podcast. And you know, we're, we're lost in medicine when greater than 50% of researchers in an anonymous survey said that they admit to fraudulent monkeying with their numbers. And, the, and peer review is, is rampant with personal bias. So mm -hmm. that's why, you know, we talk about, you know, papers that should be published never get published because there's a, the personal bias against the author or there's financial incentive against it not being published. So we're stuck in a world with, with people saying things and doing things in medicine that they're not scientific, their bias is so strong that it comes out in their counseling and it comes out in their papers and it comes out in pretty much everything they do. And that leads me sort of into this discussion with this Z-Dog interview that I mentioned at the beginning, which is a, a, a podcast that he did in 2019 called The Truth About Home Birth with Dr. Duddy, who's a, he's a pediatrician. You know, he's a, he's sincere in this. I, I truly believe he's sincere, but he's in a box and he can't see outside of his box. And we talk about this on the podcast all the time. When you're in a box, you only can see the, the walls of the box. Right. And you don't see anything else. He's very proud of his credentials. And so I'd, I'd like to just break it down a little bit. And I'm not encouraging necessarily people to go watch it, but the arguments that I'm going to bring up are some of the arguments that you might hear. And this may be helpful for you. So hopefully this kind of thing, if people, I don't really want people sending me these stuff because I'm OCD and I then have to watch them. <laughs> and then I actually took notes and you, if Bliss can see my notes here, <laughs> it's like a whole page of notes on this thing. 
It's different so color, true. Different it's colors. So true. Don't send it to Stu because he will OCD out on it. <laughs> yeah, because uh, and Z Dog and Z Dog, he wants to connect on issues correctly, and he says this is a super. He uses the word super a lot of times. He says this is a super important topic, and so it starts off. He gives introduces Dr. Duddy, and Dr. Duddy's first real statement is says, "quote I've seen some deaths from home births." Unquote. So you know where it's coming from. You know he's a pediatrician in Nevada. He works in the office and hospital. He has never been to a home birth, I believe, and he would have said so had he been there. He has no experience with home birth. He's seen a, some disasters at transport, he says, and of course he's seen some deaths. So this is where his position that he's coming from, this is the box that he's sitting in. And he cites a book that was written in 1970 by his friend, Lester Hazel, called Common Sense Childbirth. And he says, you know, as a supporter of this book, it's odd for me to come out against home birth, but it's not because you've been indoctrinated, Dr. Duddy, and that, and I understand your position, but let's go through some of the things that he says and some of the, the comments that Z-Dog makes and see where mm -hmm. it goes. So Dr. Duddy sees a balance of why women choose natural birth, but he just thinks hospital birth is, quote, getting better, unquote. So I would, I would challenge him on just that one statement alone. What is, how do you define getting better? I mean, the maternal mortality rate hasn't dropped. The neonatal mortality rate hasn't dropped. The C-section rate has risen 500%. So what's his definition of getting better? I don't really know. And the interviewer never really asks him. Okay. And he says, when we need the baby out, it's, it's now a safety issue. All right. So he's presuming that the hospital outcomes are just better. Right. Right. And, you know, I guess when you don't see the beautiful normal outcomes at home birth, you assume that, but he must be, if he's a pediatrician in a hospital, he must see babies that came inside their mothers into the hospital in perfect condition and ended up in the NICU. We did. All the time. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's clear that he gets the rarity of emergencies at home birth and that the need for immediate interventions, it doesn't happen in the home birth because as often because we're not meddling with nature's design. Okay. And again, just from listening to him, his endpoint for what should happen with the baby is going to be one of my standard sayings is that the that all that matters is, quote, the baby in the bassinet, unquote. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So then um, Z-Dog chimes in and he says, quote, we suck at maternity care, unquote. Well, that's but we shouldn't. True. Yeah, well, that's true. No, <laughs> mm -hmm. but we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, he says. I guess he says that because we suck doesn't mean we should not be doing hospital birthing. Okay. So Dr. Duddy is, again, he's very sincere. He wants viewers to know that he has no conflict of interest as a pediatrician. All right. So like he's not an obstetrician who's conflicting, you know, who's competing with mm -hmm. them. But, you know, I mean, that's sort of a weak statement. And he says that all we want is a healthy baby and a healthy mom. All right. Now, mm -hmm. that statement is a statement that everybody makes and they think it means something. But I'm asking, I would ask Dr. Duddy or anybody else who doesn't want a healthy baby and a healthy mom. I mean, isn't that a statement that everybody, you know, home birth people, parents, mm -hmm. everybody who, wants a healthy yeah. baby and healthy mom. And who wouldn't want it more than the family? Like who ha isn't more invested in that truth than the family? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like a statement that's like everybody breathes air. Right. 
Okay. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Okay. Then he goes on. And again, these are quotes. I'm not anti-midwife. But then he proceeds to dump on the training of CPMs. And I'll get mm -hmm. to more of that down the, down the paper here. Um, he also says that they are out of their depth by a mile. He said, CNMs are great. But CPMs are high school, apprenticeship, and 60 births. That's mm -hmm. how he describes CPMs. And he does that twice in the, in the interview. There's a lot of data showing dangers of home birth. Okay. But he gives no references when he says that. And he says, hey, the American Academy of Pediatrics and ACOG have position statements against home birth. So therefore, home birth is bad. Because they, their opinion is paramount. Yeah. And by the way, their opinion is level C evidence. And their opinion is often based on really crappy data like the wax paper. And mm -hmm. uh, he gives no references for when he says like um, home birth is dangerous. And he's in his box. Because again, he's quoting ACOG, an organization that's committed to be against home birth. All right. But he, but it does, he doesn't understand why they're positioned against home birth. He doesn't understand, first of all, that they're, they're, they don't know home birth, that they have, uh, that's just an opinion, and that they have a financial incentive and all other kinds of incentives to be against home birth. Yeah. That, and that, if he's, and if he's talking about a, uh, a mom or a baby that's not low risk, a mom or a baby that's sick or has a high risk condition, you're absolutely right. We would be out of our depth because that's not our specialty. That's not it's, what that's not what he's yeah. talking about. Yeah. But I'm just saying that that is true when you're thinking about it as every every pregnant woman is a ticking time bomb, even the healthy ones. Yeah. He says midwives are not NR, excuse me, midwives get NRP certified but they're not nurses. They can't give medications. Mm -hmm. So it's like the babies. Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure what that point. I mean, again, they go off track a lot. You'll see coming up, but I don't understand the point. I think, I think he's, he's got a, he's got a goal line that he wants to get to. And so they throw out these things to get to the goal line without any sort of backing of them. And again, it's a 45 minute interview. You can't, obviously get in real depth about that, but it's dangerous to have this sort of information. And if Dog wants to do something where he has a certified professional midwife, a certified nurse midwife, and Dr. Duddy or me on and do an hour and a half podcast, that would be much more informative because then there'd be a give and take and a push and pull. Yeah. Okay. This is a great one. He says that there's a 44 times greater risk of hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy at home birth. So mm -hmm. I, I looked that up and th there's a paper by Chervenak and Grunbaum. Shocking. Oh, that includes unplanned home births. Okay. And he says that the mortality of home birth is one per, for every thousand home births, you'll have one extra death. So Grunbaum and, uh, Grunbaum, that's, <laughs> that was like, Chernbaum. What, what did I used to call them? I don't remember. I yeah. don't remember. Well, I had a nickname for the two of them. Yeah. Um, anyway, their paper relies on the wax paper. Mm -hmm. So if it, you know, if if you build a foundation that's shaky, and then you build on top of that foundation, and then you use that structure to outline your reasoning, it, it you're on a completely shaky foundation. And I've done, you know, and I and a lot of other people 
taken a deep dive into some of Chervenak and Grunbaum's papers, and they're they're very easily debunked, or or at least, you know, posting another side of the argument. Yeah, so and th- there's a very good study which I'll I want to make sure we link in the show notes about it's it's half a million women from Denmark because midwifery is woven into the healthcare system there. So it's easy for them to be able to do that kind of study. And it actually shows the opposite in terms of the safety of home birth. So we'll make sure and link that since we're having this dialogue. Yeah. And he talks about that, you know, that CNMs actually do better job than OBs do, but CPMs are worse. And he's basing it on this sort of thing. And it's, and it's, again, these papers are very poorly controlled. They, they include unplanned home births in their, in their data because Chervenak and Grunbaum often use, they use birth certificate records retrospectively to do their data. And they've used the same data to put out about five papers, all of which have been published in, in the journal that uh, Chervenak is on the uh, editorial board of, which right. we've talked about the ethics of that, by the way. Mm-hmm. So ZDog keeps going back to the higher levels of training as being significant, that CNMs and doctors are better trained than CPMs. And it's like, he thinks that the level of training is insignificant, not the quality of the training and what they're designed to take care of. Because OBs are highly trained and they're crappy at taking care of normal, healthy people. Right. That's so I don't think he, to equate the level of training with the quality of care is, is a, a false argument as well. Dr. Deddy goes on to quote the WHO, which recommends a 10% C-section rate, but he goes no further. So I'm not sure what he's doing with that, but he says that the, um, and he brings up the example of cord prolapse. And I'm not sure why he talked about the 10% C-section rate. I guess I guess he was just sort of trying to say that, yeah, hospitals aren't doing a good job either. Yeah. So, that, so that's fair. Mm-hmm. But he goes on and uses the cord prolapse example, and he says you need the baby out in minutes to 30 to a half an hour, and that there's a 40% mortality with cord prolapse. I don't know where he's getting that data from, because I don't think that that's true. And, and cord prolapse is very rare. Yeah, he says the baby should be out in minutes. And I'm just wondering if Dr. Duddy could tell me a hospital that can get a baby out in minutes. I don't know of any. And I've worked at the LA County USC and I've worked at Cedars and I've worked at a bunch of other hospitals with full-time anesthesiologists and residents. And you can't get a baby out in minutes. It takes Maybe time. 10, what's that? It takes time to organize all of the Maybe 10 minutes need. is the as yeah. fast as you could ever do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, the idea that being in a hospital makes it safer because you have an OR is one of these things that we argue that an OR crew and the OR team are not just sitting there all gowned up, ready to go just in case there's a problem. You have to get everything organized together. And if you can do that in less than 20 minutes, that's pretty remarkable. Not an argument for or against home birth. And they go off They go off the track here a little bit. Z-Dog then said, talks about groups of mothers on Facebook and other groups who want to raise awareness of the poorly trained home birth midwives, as that's an argument against home birth. And I would say to Z-Dog, that's not an argument against home birth, that's an argument argument against poor training. So we need maybe better training, but it's not an argument against home birth because well-trained home birth midwives have really good statistics. And again, to bring in a different perspective, if we're always talking about um, birth as needing experts, we're missing the mark because birth inherently, most of the time is designed for the baby to come out with no one else around. That's why I'm a supporter of people making the choice of free birth as well, because 
It's not necessarily always about the provider. If you want that extra insurance policy, yes, having somebody who's skilled in case there's an emergency is going to help you with that. But birth is not an inherently a dangerous thing for a low-risk mom. Well, Z-Dog later on goes on to say, isn't it the height of narcissism to want to value the experience over safety? What would you say to Z-Dog about that? Well, you know, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about Floor, Floor Cruz, because she was on the panel um, that we just did. And she said this amazing thing because she was a VBAC mom who chose to do a home birth. And she said, you know, that cesareans are more risky for the mom, right? Yes. And, but, but we're asking her to choose um, that it, it might lower the chances of having something happen to the baby, but it's a higher risk for her. And she said, I don't care if you call me selfish, I choose me. I choose my husband to pick me up after this so that I can go home to my other children. I choose that this is the best thing for me to be able to be present in, and live a life. And that's courageous and valid for a woman to be able to say that. So it's not just about like, oh, I get to have candles and music. It's also about what is my long-term health risks? What is the experience that my entire family is having um, in, in my survival and in me choosing this? And, and what happens to future generations in terms of seeing that this is a normal thing? What about the mental health aspect? What about bonding? What about, you know, the hormones and what that does for, for everyone? None of that is acknowledged because that's not your specialty. That's not what you understand and know about. So if you ask me, doctors should be taking their effing hands off of normal birth because we're not just screwing up what's happening with this particular mom. Look at what is happening to us as a culture. We're all wondering why we're so divided and sick, not just health sick, but emotionally sick as a culture. What do we do to our babies when they're coming in? How do we honor and acknowledge them? So there's your feisty bliss. Yeah. I mean, they have one definition of safety and that is healthy baby in the bassinet. Yeah. And they're <laughs> still doing not a even necessarily job. healthy baby, but yeah, no, they're, they're yeah. I'm just saying that these two guys living in that box of medicalized, yeah. of not just birth, but medicalized healthcare, because this is there, you know, that same thinking goes on to all the other things. I mean, this guy's this guy's a big pro vaccine guy, you know, the vaccine schedule guy. He says mm -hmm. that I'm, I've skipped over that because it's not relevant to our our conversation about home birth safety. But um, and you also said the a really important thing: these two guys. Why are two men talking about what is safest and what is best for mom and baby? Why, why aren't women at the forefront of these conversations? Well, there are women physicians who would be just like there these two guys. There are women physicians, right. but I'm I, I will give Dr. Duddy, I'll give him credit. He actually brought that up. He said, you know, we're two guys talking about this and we could certainly mm -hmm. be looked at. He, he did say that, like I said, he's a sincere guy. Mm -hmm. All right. But he's in his little box and, and they define safety one way bliss. Yes. All right. They don't none of the stuff that you just mentioned would ever come into their mindset. And it's not how they define safety that matters. It's how the woman and the family define safety. That and maybe matters. safety is even the, not the right word. It's value. It's it's um, ethics. It's, yeah, how, uh, you know, 
It's however wow. you define that word, but it's unreasonable to believe that all people given that same information should come to the same definition of safety that Z Dog and Duddy come to, Dr. Right. Duddy. Okay. Right. Dr. Duddy then says something that makes my eyeballs screw around. All right. He mm -hmm. says, quote, we need to make hospitals more comfortable to feel like home as much as possible. <laughs> All right. You know what I think about that. So I won't even dwell on that. The idea, whenever I hear somebody say that we need to make hospital birth more like home, I always just say, you can't. It's not possible. Just because you add curtains and hardwood floors does not make a hospital birth a home birth. You can't. Right. That system will never be able to let go of their controls that are put in place by people that aren't doing the work, the risk managers, the administrators, the lawyers, that kind of thing. By the way, Duddy's also dismissive of the, quote, perfect birth experience. But what does he mean by that? Who's, who is asking for a perfect birth experience? I don't know any pregnant woman that asks for birth. They, they have the idea what they want. Mm -hmm. But what's a perfect birth? There's no, you know, that's not what motivates most women to choose home birth. The perfect birth experience is not why they're doing it. They're doing it because they're, afra they're afraid of what the hospital is going to do to them. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Then they go off on uh, for several minutes on childhood vaccines and causes of childhood mortality. And the only reason I bring that up is because the number one cause of childhood mortality is perinatal death. And so Dr. Duddy dismisses it by saying perinatal causes is the number one cause. So that's basically home birth. And then they just roll on to the next subject. Hmm. So it's like, wait, the 1% of people giving birth at home makes perinatal death, the number one cause of childhood mortality. Doesn't I mean, this is probably that. of all the things that he said the whole time, this one is indefensible and probably the dumbest. <laughs> all right. Because he, he blames home birth for that. Okay. He brings up uh, that Mozart and how many of his siblings did not survive. He does acknowledge that European midwifery is doing well because they let their clientele is his explanation as if we home don't. birth midwives here don't. Yeah. You know, and he does not compare outcomes with similar cohorts in a low risk, in low risk women. In other words, if you took low risk women with a CPM at home and low risk women with an OB in the hospital, who would have better outcome? He doesn't go there. Mm -hmm. All right. Then lastly, he brings up the business of being born, but he hasn't seen it. Oh, Z-Dog, excuse me, Z-Dog brings it up mm -hmm. and asks Duddy what he thinks about it. And Duddy's Duddy's was one two-word response was frankly annoying, unquote. But hadn't seen it? No. Z Dog hasn't seen it. Oh, okay. Duddy has seen it and his description is it's frankly annoying. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll just leave it at that. You know, he says, he says, are we just in it for the money? That's what the whole point of business of being born is saying that doctors are in it for the money. He says that midwives and, and uh, OBs get paid the same from insurance, which is completely <laughs> not true. And yeah. The hospital gets paid a ton, not a ton. Women's healthcare is underpaid by insurance companies, but the hospital is the one that makes all the money. The doctors, the doctors get, and the doctors get paid more and the doctors can do volume because the doctor's model is yeah. to have a lot of people in labor having strangers taking care of them and call me when she's complete so I can come and catch the baby and then bill it out, all right? Whereas the midwife's model is attention to the individual woman throughout the entire course and postpartum care. That's where Duddy goes on and reiterates that CPMs are, quote, and this is, quote, high school plus 60 deliveries, unquote. That's your training, Liz. 
Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So uh, Z Dog agrees that it, that uh, it's the height of narcissism, and he says that. Mac oh, and this last another dumb statement, by the way, says meconium means that they have been hypoxic enough to lose anal sphincter tone. All right. What? When when it, that's what he thinks that a, when a baby passes meconium, it must have had a hypoxic event. Okay. As opposed to, it can be a normal thing that happens, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's not. Which we'll I talk equate about that next to week. the. What's that? Which we'll talk about next week. Yeah, and I equate that to the um, all elephants are mammals, but not all mammals are elephants. Mm -hmm. In other words, almost every baby that suffered an hypoxic event will pass meconium. But a lot of babies pass meconium who haven't suffered a hypoxic event. Right. All right. And then he says delayed cord clamping can lead to polycythemia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By the way, that uh-huh from Bliss is, <laughs> is, is so meaningful because in, in her state today, that is a very powerful statement of stupidity. Okay. Again, I mean, maybe milking the cord could theoretically do that. All right. But letting the, it's a closed system. It's the baby's blood is everywhere. It's like everywhere. Okay. In summary, they ask him and he says, CPMs are beyond their depth. That was his summary. Mm -hmm. And I could tell through the whole thing that the, this topic made Z-Dog nervous. And he inserted inappropriate humor um, often. Not telling jokes, but just trying to trying to make some humorous statements. Uh, again, it, a lot of doctors are made nervous, and I think that Z Dog is a good representation of an honest, sincere guy who doesn't understand the birth world, and and just like the dentist or the internist or or the other doctor who won't prescribe to a pregnant woman without getting the OB clearance first, because that's what you're sort of taught in medical school. Mm -hmm. um, Z-Dog is, I think, in that category. And he thinks that home birth moms and CPMs, you know, they have their bias. Um, but Z-Dog and Duddy are speaking just from the heart. That's yeah. the impression I got. Yeah, we're just it, dumb women who really don't know anything. Yeah, and I'm not sure yeah. why he did this episode. I guess he must have had people write in. But again, these are these are two guys that have never seen a home birth. They're not experts in home birth. One of them is a little nervous about home birth. The other one is uses hyperbole about home birth. I've seen deaths, uh, you know, bad outcomes. Perinatal, de perinatal death is the number one cause is home birth. The prolapse cord thing. This, these are the guys that are talking about home birth. This is like you and I having a conversation about, you know, auto repair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who's the best auto repair shop to go to in Los Angeles or Southern California? You and I have no idea, but we could probably talk about it for an hour. That would be boring. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so we've been going on for a while. I know that you need some rest and I appreciate you being here today when you're not feeling well, because you know how hard it is for us to schedule these sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's are you okay. okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I, I, uh, I, something's going on. It's been going on for a few days, but I'm, I'm home today. I'm doing some virtual mentorship calls as well. So it's, it's a light day, but, um, I was talking to my mentees about it yesterday. I'm like, you know, sometimes you can reschedule this stuff, but also sometimes you can understand that the energy that you're bringing to a conversation is different. It's a different depth. You know, it's like, sometimes we have, uh, inspiration and we're, we're boisterous. And then other times we're a little bit more subdued and we have depth and all of the flavors of us 
can contribute something. So yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that to the podcast because when I do the podcast, for me, this is a this is a cathartic thing for me to do um, every week. It, yeah. it, you know, I like prepping for this and I like doing it. And, and by the way, it keeps me really sharp on issues Yes, that might, you know, if my colleagues had to prep for something like this every week, they might learn something. Yeah. Right. You're great, Stu. Thank you for all you do to, to prepare and inform us and give us all of these, um, topics that we can delve into on our own too, to like check out these other podcasts and articles and stuff. We, we appreciate you. Thank you, Bliss. So mm -hmm. feel better. Okay. Um, drink some element. I will. And we'll, uh, anybody listening knows how to use the chocolate salt. <laughs> you can write <laughs> in and let us know. Okay. I so until you. next week, we'll, we'll, you know, be well. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good middle of the night to all of you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 